The Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 1, Section 13. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, translated by Richard Burton. Volume 1. Section 13. When it was the nineteenth night, she continued, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that the caliph commanded this story, and those of the sister and the calendars, to be recorded in the archives, and be set in the royal muniment chambers. Then he asked the eldest lady, the mistress of the house, Knowest thou the whereabouts of the Ifrita who spelled thy sisters? And she answered, O commander of the faithful, she gave me a ringlet of her hair, saying, When as thou wouldest see me, burn a couple of these hairs, and I will be with thee forthright, even though I were beyond Caucasus mountain. Quoth the caliph, Bring me hither the hair. So she brought it, and he threw the whole lock upon the fire. As soon as the odour of the burning hair dispread itself, the palace shook and trembled, and all present heard a rumbling and rolling of thunder, and a noise as of wings, and, lo, the jinniyah, who had been a serpent, stood in the caliph's presence. Now she was a Muslimah, so she saluted him, and said, Peace be with thee, O vicar of Allah. Whereto he replied, And with thee also be peace, and the mercy of Allah and his blessing. Then she continued, Know that this damsel sowed for me the seed of kindness, wherefore I cannot enough requite her, in that she delivered me from death and destroyed mine enemy. Now I had seen how her sisters dealt with her, and felt myself bound to avenge her on them. At first I was minded to slay them, but I feared it would be grievous to her, so I transformed them to bitches. But if thou desire their release, O commander of the faithful, I will release them to pleasure thee and her, for I am of the Muslims. Quoth the caliph, Release them, and after we will look into the affair of the beaten lady, and consider her case carefully, and if the truth of her story be evidenced, I will exact retaliation from him who wronged her. Said the Ifrita, O commander of the faithful, I will forthwith release them, and will discover to thee the man who did that deed by this lady, and wronged her, and took her property, and he is the nearest of all men to thee. So saying, she took a cup of water, and muttered a spell over it, and uttered words there was no understanding. Then she sprinkled some of the water over the faces of the two bitches, saying, Return to your former human shape whereupon they were restored to their natural forms, and fell to praising their Creator. Then said the Ifrita, O commander of the faithful, of a truth he who scourged this lady with rods is thy son, Alamin, brother of Al-Ma'amun, for he had heard of her beauty and loveliness, and he played a lover's stratagem with her, and married her according to the law, and committed the crime, such as it is, of scourging her. Yet indeed he is not to be blamed for beating her, for he laid a condition on her, and swore her by a solemn oath not to do a certain thing. However, she was false to her vow, and he was minded to put her to death, 
but he feared almighty Allah, and contented himself with scourging her, as thou hast seen, and with sending her back to her own place. Such is the story of the second lady, and the Lord knoweth all. When the caliph heard these words of the Ifrita, and knew who had beaten the damsel, he marvelled with mighty marvel, and said, Praise be to Allah, the Most High, the Almighty, who hath shown his exceeding mercy towards me, enabling me to deliver these two damsels from sorcery and torture, and vouchsafing to let me know the secret of this lady's history. And now, by Allah, we will do a deed which shall be recorded of us after we are no more. Then he summoned his son, Alamin, and questioned him of the story of the second lady, the portress, and he told it in the face of truth. Whereupon the caliph bade call into presence the Kazis and their witnesses, and the three calendars, and the first lady with her sisters German, who had been ensorcelled, and he married the three to the three calendars, whom he knew to be princes and sons of kings, and he appointed them chamberlains about his person, assigning to them stipends and allowances, and all that they required, and lodging them in his palace at Baghdad. He returned the beaten lady to his son Alamin, renewing the marriage contract between them, and gave her great wealth, and bade rebuild the house fairer than it was before. As for himself, he took to wife the procuratrix, and lay with her that night, and next day he set apart for her an apartment in his seraglio, with handmaidens for her service, and a fixed daily allowance and the people marvelled at their caliph's generosity and natural beneficence and princely wisdom. Nor did he forget to send all these histories to be recorded in his annals. When Shahrazad ceased speaking, Dunyazad exclaimed, O my own sister, by Allah, in very sooth, this is a right pleasant tale, and a delectable. Never was heard the like of it. But prithee, tell me now another story to while away what yet remaineth of the waking hours of this our night. She replied, With love and gladness, if the king give me leave. And he said, Tell thy tale, and tell it quickly. So she began in these words. The Tale of the Three Apples They relate, O king of the age, and lord of the time, and of these days, that the caliph Harun al-Rashid summoned his wazir Ja'afar one night, and said to him, I desire to go down into the city and question the common folk concerning the conduct of those charged with its governance, and those of whom they complain we will depose from office, and those whom they commend we will promote. Quoth Ja'afar, Hearkening and Obedience so the caliph went down with Ja'afar and the eunuch Masrur to the town, and walked about the streets and markets, and as they were threading a narrow alley, they came upon a very old man, with a fishing-net and crate to carry small fish on his head, and in his hand a staff, and as he walked at a leisurely pace, he repeated these lines. They say me, thou shinest a light to mankind, with thy law as the night which the moon doth uplight. I answer, a truce to your jests and your jibes, without luck what is learning, a poor devil white. If they take me to pawn with my law in my pouch, with my volumes to read and my ink-case to write, 
for one day's provision they never could pledge me, as likely on doomsday to draw bill at sight. How poorly indeed doth it fare with a poor, with his pauper existence and beggarly plight, in summer he faileth provision to find, in winter the fire-pots his only delight. The street-dogs with bite and with bark to him rise, and each lozel receives him with bark and with bite. If he lift up his voice and complain of his wrong, none pities or heeds him, however he's right. And when sorrows and evils like these he must brave, his happiest homestead were down in the grave." When the caliph heard his verses, he said to Ja'afar, See this poor man, and note his verses, for surely they point to his necessities. Then he accosted him, and asked, O Shaykh, what be thine occupation? And the poor man answered, O my lord, I am a fisherman with a family to keep, and I have been out between midday and this time, and not a thing hath Allah made my portion wherewithal to feed my family. I cannot even pawn myself to buy them a supper, and I hate and disgust my life, and I hanker after death. Quoth the caliph, Say me, wilt thou return with us to Tigris Bank, and cast thy net on my luck, and whatsoever turneth up I will buy of thee for an hundred gold pieces? The man rejoiced when he heard these words, and said, On my head be it, I will go back with you, and returning with them riverwards, made a cast, and waited a while. Then he hauled in the rope, and dragged the net ashore, and there appeared in it a chest padlocked and heavy. The caliph examined it, and lifted it, finding it weighty. So he gave the fisherman two hundred dinars, and sent him about his business, whilst Masrur, aided by the caliph, carried the chest to the palace, and set it down and lighted the candles. Ja'afar and Masrur then broke it open, and found therein a basket of palm-leaves corded with red worsted. This they cut open, and saw within it a piece of carpet which they lifted out, and under it was a woman's mantilla, folded in four, which they pulled out, and at the bottom of the chest they came upon a young lady, fair as a silver ingot, slain and cut into nineteen pieces. When the caliph looked upon her, he cried, Alas! and tears ran down his cheeks, and turning to Ja'afar, he said, O dog of wazirs, shall folk be murdered in our reign, and be cast into the river to be a burden and a responsibility for us on the day of doom? By Allah, we must avenge this woman on her murderer, and he shall be made die the worst of deaths. And presently he added, Now as surely as we are descended from the sons of Abbas, if thou bring us not him who slew her, that we do her justice on him, I will hang thee at the gate of my palace, thee and forty of thy kith and kin by thy side. And the caliph was wroth with exceeding rage. Quoth Ja'afar, Grant me three days' delay. And quoth the caliph, We grant thee this. So Ja'afar went from before him, and returned to his own house, full of sorrow, and saying to himself, How shall I find him who murdered this damsel, that I may bring him before the caliph? If I bring other than the murderer, it will be laid to my charge by the Lord. In very sooth I wot not what to do. He kept his house three days, and on the fourth day the caliph sent one of the chamberlains for him, and, as he came into the presence, asked him, Where is the murderer of the damsel? 
To which answered Ja'afar, O commander of the faithful, am I inspector of murdered folk, that I should ken who killed her? The caliph was furious at his answer, and bade hang him before the palace gate, and commanded that a crier cry through the streets of Baghdad, Whoso would see the hanging of Ja'afar the Barmaki, wazir of the caliph, with forty of the Barmicides, his cousins and kinsmen, before the palace gate, let him come and let him look. The people flocked out from all the quarters of the city to witness the execution of Ja'afar and his kinsmen, not knowing the cause. Then they set up the gallows, and made Ja'afar and the others stand underneath in readiness for execution. But whilst every eye was looking for the caliph's signal, and the crowd wept for Ja'afar and his cousins of the Barmicides, lo and behold, a young man, fair of face and neat of dress, and of favour like the moon raining light, with eyes black and bright, and brow flower white, and cheeks red as rose, and young down where the beard grows, and a mole like a grain of ambergris, pushed his way through the people, till he stood immediately before the wazir, and said to him, Safety to thee from this strait, O prince of the emirs, and asylum of the poor. I am the man who slew the woman ye found in the chest. So hang me for her, and do her justice on me. When Ja'afar heard the youth's confession, he rejoiced at his own deliverance, but grieved and sorrowed for the fair youth. And whilst they were yet talking, behold, another man, well stricken in years, pressed forward through the people, and thrust his way amid the populace, till he came to Ja'afar and the youth, whom he saluted, saying, Ho thou the wazir and prince sans peer, believe not the words of this youth. Of a surety none murdered the damsel but I. Take her reek on me this moment, for, an thou do not thus, I will require it of thee, before almighty Allah. Then quoth the young man, O wazir, this is an old man in his dotage, who wotteth not whatso he saith ever, and I am he who murdered her, so do thou avenge her on me. Quoth the old man, O my son, thou art young, and desirest the joys of the world, and I am old and weary, and surfeited with the world. I will offer my life as a ransom for thee and for the wazir and his cousins. No one murdered the damsel but I, so Allah upon thee, make haste to hang me, for no life is left in me now that hers is gone. The wazir marvelled much at all this strangeness, and taking the young man and the old man, carried them before the caliph, where, after kissing the ground seven times between his hands, he said, O commander of the faithful, I bring thee the murderer of the damsel. Where is he? asked the caliph, and Ja'afar answered, This young man saith, I am the murderer, and this old man, giving him the lie, saith, I am the murderer, and behold, here are the twain standing before thee. The caliph looked at the old man and the young man, and asked, Which of you killed the girl? The young man replied, No one slew her save I. And the old man answered, Indeed, none killed her but myself. Then said the caliph to Ja'afar, Take the twain, and hang them both. But Ja'afar rejoined, Since one of them was the murderer, to hang the other were mere injustice. By him who raised the firmament, and dispread the earth like a carpet, 
cried the youth, I am he who slew the damsel. And he went on to describe the manner of her murder, and the basket, the mantilla, and the bit of carpet, in fact all that the caliph had found upon her. So the caliph was certified that the young man was the murderer, whereat he wondered, and asked him, What was the cause of thy wrongfully doing this damsel to die, and what made thee confess the murder without the bastinado, and what brought thee here to yield up thy life, and what made thee say, Do her reek upon me? The youth answered, Know, O commander of the faithful, that this woman was my wife, and the mother of my children, also my first cousin, and the daughter of my paternal uncle, this old man, who is my father's own brother. When I married her, she was a maid, and Allah blessed me with three male children by her. She loved me and served me, and I saw no evil in her, for I also loved her with fondest love. Now, on the first day of this month, she fell ill with grievous sickness, and I fetched in physicians to her. But recovery came to her little by little, and when I wished her to go to the hammam bath, she said, There is something I long for before I go to the bath, and I long for it with an exceeding longing. To hear is to comply, said I, and what is it? Quoth she, I have a queasy craving for an apple, to smell it and bite a bit of it. I replied, Hadst thou a thousand longings, I would try to satisfy them. So I went on the instant into the city, and sought for apples, but could find none. Yet, had they cost a gold piece each, would I have bought them? I was vexed at this, and went home and said, O daughter of my uncle, by Allah I can find none. She was distressed, being yet very weakly, and her weakness increased greatly on her that night, and I felt anxious and alarmed on her account. As soon as morning dawned, I went out again, and made the round of the gardens, one by one, but found no apples anywhere. At last there met me an old gardener, of whom I asked about them, and he answered, O oh my son, this fruit is a rarity with us, and is not now to be found save in the garden of the commander of the faithful at Basurah, where the gardener keepeth it for the caliph's eating. I returned to my house, troubled by my ill-success, and my love for my wife and my affection moved me to undertake the journey. So I got me ready, and set out and travelled fifteen days and nights, going and coming, and brought her three apples, which I bought from the gardener for three dinars. But when I went in to my wife and set them before her, she took no pleasure in them, and let them lie by her side for her weakness and fever had increased on her, and her malady lasted without abating ten days, after which time she began to recover health. So I left my house, and betaking me to my shop, sat there buying and selling, and about midday, behold, a great ugly black slave, long as a lance and broad as a bench, passed by my shop, holding in hand one of the three apples wherewith he was playing. Quoth I, O oh, my good slave, tell me whence thou tookest that apple, that I may get the like of it. He laughed, and answered, I got it from my mistress, for I had been absent, and on my return I found her lying ill with three apples by her side, and she said to me, My horned whittle of a husband made a journey for them to Basura, and bought them for three dinars. So I ate and drank with her, and took this one from her. When I heard such words from the slave, O commander of the faithful, the world grew black before my face, 
and I arose and locked up my shop, and went home beside myself for excess of rage. I looked for the apples, and finding only two of the three, asked my wife, O oh, my cousin, where is the third apple? And raising her head languidly, she answered, I wot not, O oh, son of my uncle, where tis gone. This convinced me that the slave had spoken the truth, so I took a knife, and coming behind her, got upon her breast without a word said, and cut her throat. Then I hewed off her head and her limbs in pieces, and wrapping her in her mantilla and a rag of carpet, hurriedly sewed up the hole which I set in a chest, and locking it tight, loaded it on my he-mule, and threw it into the tigris with my own hands. So Allah upon thee, O commander of the faithful, make haste to hang me, as I fear lest she appeal for vengeance on resurrection day. For when I had thrown her into the river, and none knew aught of it, as I went back home, I found my eldest son crying, and yet he knew naught of what I had done with his mother. I asked him, What hath made thee weep, my boy? And he answered, I took one of the three apples which were by my mammy, and went down into the lane to play with my brethren, when, behold, a big, long, black slave snatched it from my hand, and said, Whence hadst thou this? Quoth I, My father travelled far for it, and brought it from Bassora for my mother, who was ill, and two other apples, for which he paid three ducats. He took no heed of my words, and I asked for the apple a second and a third time, but he cuffed me and kicked me, and went off with it. I was afraid lest my mother should swinge me on account of the apple, so for fear of her I went with my brother outside the city, and stayed there till evening closed in upon us. And indeed I am in fear of her. And now by Allah or my father say nothing to her of this, or it may add to her ailment. When I heard what my child said, I knew that the slave was he who had foully slandered my wife, the daughter of my uncle and was certified that I had slain her wrongfully. So I wept with exceeding weeping, and presently this old man, my paternal uncle and her father, came in, and I told him what had happened, and he sat down by my side and wept, and we ceased not weeping till midnight. We have kept up mourning for her these last five days, and we lamented her in the deepest sorrow, for that she was unjustly done to die." This came from the gratuitous lying of the slave, the blackamoor, and this was the manner of my killing her. So I conjure thee, by the honour of thine ancestors, make haste to kill me, and do her justice upon me, as there is no living for me after her. The caliph marvelled at his words, and said, By Allah, the young man is excusable. I will hang none but the accursed slave." and I will do a deed which shall comfort the ill at ease and suffering, and which shall please the all-glorious king. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of the day, and ceased saying her permitted say. When it was the twentieth night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that the caliph swore he would hang none but the slave, for the youth was excusable. Then he turned to Ja'afar and said to him, Bring before me this accursed slave, who was the sole cause of this calamity. And if thou bring him not before me within three days, thou shalt be slain in his stead. So Ja'afar fared forth weeping, and saying, Two deaths have already beset me, nor shall the crock come off safe from every shock.
In this matter craft and cunning are of no avail, but he who preserved my life the first time can preserve it a second time. By Allah, I will not leave my house during the three days of life which remain to me, and let the truth, whose perfection be praised, do e'en as he will. So he kept his house three days, and on the fourth day he summoned the Kazis and legal witnesses, and made his last will and testament, and took leave of his children weeping. Presently in came a messenger from the Caliph, and said to him, The commander of the faithful is in the most violent rage that can be, and he sendeth to seek thee, and he sweareth that the day shall certainly not pass without thy being hanged, unless the slave be forthcoming. When Ja'afar heard this, he wept, and his children and slaves, and all who were in the house, wept with him. After he had bidden adieu to everybody except his youngest daughter, he proceeded to farewell her, for he loved this wee one, who was a beautiful child, more than all his other children, and he pressed her to his breast, and kissed her, and wept bitterly at parting from her, when he felt something round inside the bosom of her dress, and asked her, O oh, my little maid, what is in thy bosom pocket? O oh, my father, she replied, it is an apple with the name of our lord the caliph written upon it. Raihan, our slave, brought it me four days ago, and would not let me have it till I gave him two dinars for it. When Ja'afar heard speak of the slave and the apple, he was glad, and put his hand into his child's pocket, and drew out the apple, and knew it, and rejoiced, saying, O oh, ready dispeller of trouble! Then he bade them bring the slave, and said to him, Fie upon thee, Raihan! Whence hadst thou this apple? By Allah, O oh my master, he replied, Though a lie may get a man once off, yet may truth get him off, and well off, again and again. I did not steal this apple from thy palace, nor from the gardens of the commander of the faithful. The fact is that five days ago, as I was walking along one of the alleys of this city, I saw some little ones at play, and this apple in hand of one of them. So I snatched it from him, and beat him, and he cried and said, O oh, youth, this apple is my mother's, and she is ill. She told my father how she longed for an apple, so he travelled to Bassora and bought her three apples for three gold pieces, and I took one of them to play with all. He wept again but I paid no heed to what he said, and carried it off, and brought it here, and my little lady bought it of me for two dinars of gold. And this is the whole story. When Ja'afar heard his words, he marvelled that the murder of the damsel, and all this misery, should have been caused by his slave. He grieved for the relation of the slave to himself, while rejoicing over his own deliverance, and he repeated these lines. If ill betide thee through thy slave, make him forthright thy sacrifice. A many serviles thou shalt find, but life comes once, and never twice. Then he took the slave's hand, and leading him to the caliph, related the story from first to last. And the caliph marvelled with extreme astonishment, and laughed till he fell on his back, and ordered that the story be recorded, and be made public amongst the people. But Ja'afar said, Marvel not, O commander of the faithful, at this adventure, for it is not more wondrous than the history of the wazir Nur ad-Din Ali of Egypt, and his brother Shams ad-Din Mohammed. Quoth the caliph, 
Out with it! But what can be stranger than this story? And Ja'afar answered, O commander of the faithful, I will not tell it thee, save on condition that thou pardon my slave. And the caliph rejoined, If it be indeed more wondrous than that of the three apples, I grant thee his blood, and if not, I will surely slay thy slave. So Ja'afar began in these words the tale of Nur ad-Din and his son. Know, O commander of the faithful, that in times of yore the land of Egypt was ruled by a sultan endowed with justice and generosity, one who loved the pious poor and companied with the ulama and learned men. And he had a wazir, a wise and an experienced, well versed in affairs and in the art of government. This minister, who was a very old man, had two sons, as they were two moons. Never man saw the like of them for beauty and grace. The elder called Shams ad-Din Muhammad, and the younger Nur ad-Din Ali. But the younger excelled the elder in seemliness and pleasing semblance, so that folk heard his fame in far countries, and men flocked to Egypt for the purpose of seeing him. In course of time their father, the wazir, died, and was deeply regretted and mourned by the sultan, who sent for his two sons, and investing them with dresses of honour, said to them, Let not your hearts be troubled, for ye shall stand in your father's stead, and be joint ministers of Egypt. At this they rejoiced, and kissed the ground before him, and performed the ceremonial mourning for their father during a full month after which time they entered upon the wazirate, and the power passed into their hands, as it had been in the hands of their father, each doing duty for a week at a time. They lived under the same roof, and their word was one, and whenever the sultan desired to travel, they took it by turns to be in attendance on him. It fortuned one night that the sultan purposed setting out on a journey next morning, and the elder, whose turn it was to accompany him, was sitting conversing with his brother, and said to him, O oh, my brother, it is my wish that we both marry, I and thou, two sisters, and go into our wives on one and the same night. Do, O oh, my brother, as thou desirest, the younger replied, for right is thy wrecking, and surely I will comply with thee in whatso thou sayest. So they agreed upon this, and quoth Shamsadin, if Allah decree that we marry two damsels, and go into them on the same night, and they shall conceive on their bride nights, and bear children to us on the same day, and by Allah's will thy wife bear thee a son, and my wife bear me a daughter, let us wed them either to other, for they will be cousins. Quoth Nur ad-Din, O my brother Shams ad-Din, what dower wilt thou require from my son for thy daughter? Quoth Shams ad-Din, I will take three thousand dinars, and three pleasure gardens, and three farms. And it would not be seemly that the youth make contract for less than this. When Nur ad-Din heard such demand, he said, What manner of dower is this thou wouldst impose upon my son? Wottest thou not that we are brothers, and both by Allah's grace wazirs, and equal in office? It behoveth thee to offer thy daughter to my son without marriage settlement or, if one need be, it should represent a mere nominal value by way of show to the world, for thou knowest that the masculine is worthier than the feminine, and my son is a male, and our memory will be preserved by him, not by thy daughter. 
But what, said Shams al-Din, is she to have? And Nur al-Din continued, Through her we shall not be remembered among the emirs of the earth. But I see thou wouldest do with me according to the saying, And thou wouldst bluff off a buyer, ask him a high price and higher. Or, as did a man who, they say, went to a friend, and asked something of him, being in necessity, and was answered, Bismillah, in the name of Allah, I will do all what thou requirest, but come to-morrow. Whereupon the other replied in this verse, When he who is asked a favour saith to-morrow, the wise man wots, tis vain to beg or borrow. Quoth Shams ad-Din, Basta! I see thee fail in respect to me, by making thy son of more account than my daughter, and tis plain that thine understanding is of the meanest, and that thou lackest manners. Thou remindest me of thy partnership in the Wazirate, when I admitted thee to share with me only in pity for thee, and not wishing to mortify thee, and that thou mightest help me as a manner of assistant. But since thou talkest on this wise, by Allah, I will never marry my daughter to thy son. No, not for her weight in gold. When Nur ad-Din heard his brother's words, he waxed wroth, and said, And I too, I will never, never marry my son to thy daughter. No, not to keep from my lips the cup of death. Shams ad-Din replied, I would not accept him as a husband for her, and he is not worth a paring of her nail. Were I not about to travel, I would make an example of thee. However, when I return, thou shalt see, and I will show thee how I can assert my dignity and vindicate my honour. But Allah doeth whatso he willeth. When Nur ad-Din heard this speech from his brother, he was filled with fury, and lost his wits for rage. But he hid what he felt, and held his peace. And each of the brothers passed the night in a place far apart, wild with wrath against the other. As soon as morning dawned, the Sultan fared forth in state, and crossed over from Cairo to Giza, and made for the pyramids, accompanied by the wazir Shams ad-Din, whose turn of duty it was, whilst his brother Nur ad-Din, who passed the night in sore rage, rose with the light and prayed the dawn prayer. Then he betook himself to his treasury, and taking a small pair of saddle-bags, filled them with gold and he called to mind his brother's threats, and the contempt wherewith he had treated him, and he repeated these couplets. Travel, and thou shalt find new friends for old ones left behind. Toil for the sweets of human life, by toil and moil are found. The stay-at-home no honour wins, nor aught attains but want. So leave thy place of birth, and wander all the world around. I've seen, and very oft I've seen, how standing water stinks, and only flowing sweetens it, and trotting makes it sound. And were the moon for ever full, and ne'er to wax or wane, man would not strain his watchful eyes to see its gladsome round. Except the lion leave his lair, he ne'er would fell his game. Except the arrow leave the bow, ne'er had it reached its bound. Gold dust is dust, the while it lies untravelled in the mine, and aloes wood mere fuel is upon its native ground. And gold shall win his highest worth, when from his goal ungold, and aloes sent to foreign parts grows costlier than gold. When he ended his verse, he bade one of his pages saddle him his Nubian mare-mule with her padded cell. 
Now she was a dapple grey, with ears like reed-pens, and legs like columns, and a back high and strong as a dome builded on pillars. Her saddle was of gold-cloth, and her stirrups of Indian steel, and her housing of Ispahan velvet. She had trappings which would serve the Kosruis, and she was like a bride adorned for her wedding-night. Moreover, he bade lay on her back a piece of silk for a seat, and a prayer-carpet under which were his saddle-bags. When this was done, he said to his pages and slaves, I purpose going forth a-pleasuring outside the city, on the road to Kalyub town, and I shall lie three nights abroad. So let none of you follow me, for there is something straighteneth my breast. Then he mounted the mule in haste, and taking with him some provant for the way, set out from Cairo, and faced the open and uncultivated country lying round it. About noontide he entered Bilbay's city, where he dismounted and stayed a while to rest himself and his mule, and ate some of his victual. He bought at Bilbay's all he wanted for himself, and forage for his mule, and then fared on the way of the waste. Towards nightfall he entered a town called Sa'adiya, where he alighted, and took out somewhat of his viaticum, and ate. Then he spread his strip of silk on the sand, and set the saddle-bags under his head, and slept in the open air, for he was still overcome with anger. End of section 13 of the Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 1